Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Big Valley Grace Community Church. And if you're visiting us today, a special welcome to you. A special welcome to you, those of you who are in the cafe and uh, the venue. And those, many of you who are online, a special welcome to you today. And folks, you need to get that CD. That last song is a keeper. Have, how many of you have experienced the need to be reminded that God is bigger than all your fears and bigger than your dreams? Now, when I heard, uh, I've had the, the joy of hearing that song now several times, and it has just been speaking to me. And I was sharing with Bobby and others that um, when we went through our journey with cancer, um, songs like that, boy, we needed those songs. Uh, there are times when uh, we become very weak, and uh, fears can be overwhelming. The, the days that are ahead can be very uncertain. And we need to be reminded that our God is a rock that we can stand upon. He is a shelter that we can hide in. And that he is bigger than any fear. He is bigger than any dream. We tend to think of him much smaller than he really is. And it's good to be reminded. Boy, I encourage you to saturate your mind not only with the word of God, but his songs. His songs. Um, I like different styles of music. Country Western certainly has its place. I enjoy bluegrass. I like classical but none of them, none of them take the place of God's songs. So uh, when you see groups like this that uh, you've just heard and there's a song that you like, man, you grab that, you get that CD, you saturate your mind with God's word, remind them of the promises because the enemy would love for you to believe a lie that he isn't as big as a fear, he isn't as big as a dream and he wants to shake you, he wants to rock you, he wants to depress you, he wants to discourage you and render you inoperative. So I'm so grateful for the worship that we've had this morning. Uh, right after the service, I'm gonna be here in the front. I would, not that anything special, but I'd love to meet with you if I haven't shaken your hand yet or haven't uh, connected with you yet in the time that I've been here at Big Valley. I would love to get to meet you if you're new here to Big Valley, particularly if you're brand new and you're new to the community, I'd love to meet you, meet you and get to know your name. Uh, there's also the altar is going to be open right after our service today. And boy, come and pray. Uh, I think we all are carrying various burdens and needs. And there's nothing like getting on our knees together and praying together with another brother or sister in Christ and knowing that our burdens are being carried and shared with. And we want to rejoice with you where those times are appropriate. But we also want to uh, hold one another up in Christ and encourage one another, particularly as we see the day drawing near. This last week, we had a phenomenal week. It was an awesome week. I wonder how many of you were here last week for Easter celebrating resurrection. That's awesome. And you know what I'm talking about. It was a great day. We had 55 first-time visitors that we know of. And I'm sure there were many more. But that number is significant in that we had been praying for many people over the course of the weeks prior to Easter week or Resurrection week, and many of those people came for the first time. And for some of them, it was the first time they really heard the gospel message, and they're beginning to hear God's voice. Uh, so these numbers are very significant, and we rejoice at that. Thank you for inviting your friends. Thank you. It's been wonderful seeing God answer prayer. I've had the privilege of meeting some of you, or this is your first or second time here. May the Lord bless you. I like the next number, though, 71. 71 people stepped up and said, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Isn't that something? Young and old, there were some kids and there were some oldies and, and all, everything in between. And uh, they, some of them were even afraid of water. But you know what? They did it for Jesus. And that really is, and when you're afraid of water, why would you do that? Unless there was something bigger that you're, you're coming to. And so I want to do this for Jesus. I'm gonna keep, I'm, he's bigger than my fear and I'm going to do this for him. 
and uh, they were honored. Uh, not, God was honored, and people heard their testimonies. It was just a, a great day. And then I like this next number, 94. There were 94 people that said, I want to follow Jesus. And, and, and think about what that means. Jesus says, my sheep, I hear my voice. You remember the video of the shepherd calling his sheep? And he had this field full of sheep, and they were nibbling on the grass. And all of a sudden, he, he yelled out, sheepy, 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 or whatever it was. All of a sudden, they stop, and their ears perk up, and they come running to the shepherd. And 94 people heard the voice of the Lord, and they responded to the call of the Holy Spirit. And they said yes to Jesus. And they're beginning their journey in Christ. And there was a big party in heaven. And some of you have family members that were a part of that party. They're up there in heaven celebrating with the angels the answers to prayers. Uh, of you all. And uh, we were a partner of that. We were a privileged one of that, where we were able to serve. And maybe your service was right here in the rows, meeting somebody brand new, going outside of your comfort zone and welcoming them to Big Valley Grace. And the Lord used every one of us to be a part of a greater story. And what a privilege that is to be able to do that. So thank you uh, for your ministry and your service. There's one day briefly I want to uh, remind you of, and it is the second of May, Doce de Mayo, or something like that. Doce de Mayo. <laughs> uh, and you may not even, what does that mean? Uh, every, the first Thursday of every May has been set aside to be a national day of prayer, where our presidential leaders for decades have been calling the nation to pray. And as a people of God, folks, we, we, we ought to be running to pray. Our nation, I don't know if you've noticed it, our nation needs prayer. It needs a bunch of prayer. It needs a work of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord waits for us to pray. When our, his people pray, he's ready to answer. And at 6.30 over in the venue, he'll be leading us in a time of prayer for our nation, for our families, for our community, for our leaders. Uh, they need the Lord's help. And we are the ones, we're small in number. Uh, there's 360 million or 400 million people in the United States. And while we may seem like we're a big church, we're really tiny. And yet this tiny army of people can stand in the gap against the enemy and say, God, hear us and help us. And so I encourage you to come. I don't care whether you're blue or red or whatever it is in between. You come and we need to pray to the Lord that he would do a mighty work amongst us. He would pour out his spirit upon us. He would push back the enemy that is seeking to divide us and that he would reign and we'd see people come to Christ. It's our business to do that. So let me encourage you to come and join us. We'll be over in the venue, and we'll pack that place out, and we'll go to pray. And it's a wonderful time to pray. So are we all on the same page? That's good. Well, take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 6. And I encourage you to get your Bible. And those, there's some notes that... Uh, we're handed to you. I encourage you to use those notes today to fill in the blanks. But that, that study sheet is to be more than just something you do here this morning. Take it home with you. Look at the Bible verses that are there. Underline them in your Bible. Let the Word of God speak to you. This is an incredible passage of Scripture. The Apostle John, who wrote the book of John, which we'll be in next week, wrote this too. He wrote this, though, much later in his life. And as you read the book of John, 1 John, you'll hear a grandfather's heart a heart that is just really burdened for his children. In fact, it is recorded that when he was much older and in his 90s, when he could not walk, and soon you understand that, you have family members that are having a tough time walking. They would carry John into the church of Ephesus, and he had limited speech in those later years of life. And then one thing that he would say over and over and over again to the church of Ephesus, love one another, love one another, love one another. 
That message of understanding what it means as a body of Christ to love one another sunk deep into his heart. It resonated with him, and he carried that as a primary message all of his life. I'm going to share with you a story that I think will help you as we approach this passage of Scripture. Because one of the things you'll see as you study the book of 1 John is there is is repetitive thoughts. There's words that show up over and over and over again. In this particular passage of Scripture, you're going to hear the phrase about walking in darkness and walking in light. When I was much younger and thinner, I used to do a lot of... uh, backpacking and hiking and something that's called spelunking. Spelunking is going down into caves, and my favorite was going down into mines. A very stupid thing to do. And that's what you do when you're young, (laughs) and you don't listen to your mom or dad. And I often would sneak up into the mountains, Tim, I'll be back in a little bit, and I would go and explore uh, abandoned mines, and I had the equipment to do it. Not the brains to do it, but I had the equipment to do it, and off I would go. And one of my favorite places to go that was accessible, not legally, but I could get into it, (laughs) was an old mine. It's up by Angel's Camp. It's called Carson Hill. Incredible mine. Big mountain. They found a whole bunch of gold in it. And uh, closed down right after World War II and left many of the uh, uh, entrances open. And I've been all through that mine. On one day, and a part of the story of the mine is they had some really, really deep shafts. And what they did is that they drilled a hole into the mountain horizontally that went all the way into the heart of the mountain. And they had these deep vertical shafts where they would dump the ore. They had these horizontal levels of, of tunnels. They'd bring up to these deep holes. They'd drop this thing down. The stuff would free fall. And then they would excavate it out into a train car and out it would go. And so the horizontal tunnel, which was at the, at the river site where the stamp mill was at, was very long and it was very big. And one day in the 80s, we were in a severe drought. Maloney's was essentially empty, and the Stanislaus River, you could see it again, which exposed all of the, the tailings and uh, where the mine, uh, the, the equipment used to be. But on this particular time, as I was in the area, I noticed a hole I'd never seen before. Somebody had gone in with a backhoe and opened it up. Probably the company that was binding it was doing some exploratory work, and so they opened up the horizontal shaft, and I just happened to see it. Nobody else was around, and I knew immediately what it was. All, you know, I'd, I'd explored all over this mine. I've gone to some pretty deep places, but I'd never been in this hole. And when I saw that, I knew what, what it was. I said, I've got to go in it. So I came home, got my stuff, got my friends, and off we went. And we got into this, got in there. And again, what we did wasn't legal. And I hope we're past the statutes of limitations in this thing. <laughs> <clears throat> but off I went. And this shaft, and it's only a shaft, this tunnel, this horizontal tunnel, was as straight as Tolly Road or Stanford Avenue. It was straight. There wasn't a, unlike the other tunnels, there wasn't a bend in it. It had one purpose, to bring a train in and train out. And it was as big, I, could, I, have a, I drive a Ford F-150 uh, truck. I could have drove my truck in it. I didn't have to walk. I could have drove in it, and it would not have hit the walls of the thing. So, uh, so I want, I'm doing this to give you an idea of how big this hole was. And once they uncovered it, you could walk into this thing, so off we began walking. And it was probably, and maybe it seemed longer than what it was, but I, I felt like we had walked a half a mile into this thing. And what I noticed as we walked into this hole, the light of the entrance kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. It's a straight shaft. 
And we got into the place, the deeper that we walked into the darkness, the smaller the light became. To the point, and again, folks, we went straight. But as we went deeper into this tunnel, the light disappeared to the point where we couldn't see it at all. The light wasn't reaching the place where we were at. And we desperately needed our lanterns and the things like that to be able to light our way. But we went in this thing as far as it could go until finally uh, the tunnel had collapsed. Couldn't get past it. And we decided to turn around. But catch the metaphors here. We'd gone so far into the darkness, we couldn't see the light. But as we turned around and we started walking towards the light, pretty soon it was just a little speck. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger until we stepped out in daylight. And if you've, you probably haven't had this experience, but, let me, but as wonderful it is to explore those things, it is really good to get out <laughs> in the fresh air and the bright sunlight. It is wonderfully refreshing to be in the light. And John's gonna use this metaphor of the difference between walking in the darkness and walking in the light. And when I was doing this study, it's probably by God's grace that I remembered this story. I thought, man, that was just like that day that I was walking in that tunnel and how that light disappeared and what it means to walk away from the Lord and walking into the darkness and how the darkness will consume you. And the Lord doesn't want that in any of our lives. You know what I'm talking about? The Lord wants to set us free from that. He wants us to walk in the sunlight, to walk in the light, to experience his joy and his favor. So with that picture in your mind, you got it? Watch now as this thing develops in 1 John chapter 1. Follow with me as I narrate this. And uh, the words that I'm using, is just, it's just an amplification of, um, of, the, of what John is really saying here. So I'm reading out of the NIV. You might have a different version. And uh, it's okay. Just follow along as, as I read. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. So John says, this is the message that we, and the we refers to something more than just the disciples. He's referring to not only his disciples, but there were women involved. Uh, and, and there's a many as 70, maybe several hundred that he's saying, who followed Jesus all throughout the years and heard this message. This message is what this group of people heard. The message is that from him, uh, from Jesus, the message we've heard from Jesus and declare to you, and here's what they declare, that God the Father is light. And in him, God the Father, there is no darkness at all. So if we claim, if we boast to have fellowship, intimacy with him, God the Father, yet we are walking in the darkness as a habit of our life, we lie and we do not live by the truth. But, however, if we walk if the habit of our life is to walk in the light as the God the Father is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Let's go back up to the word fellowship with one another. He's not talking about this horizontal relationship as nice as this is and, and which is a byproduct of walking in the light. But the kind of fellowship he's talking about is found up in verse 4 where it says our fellowship is with the Father and his son. That is a richer fellowship. 
the ability to know that everything is good between the Lord and I. And the fellowship I have is not only with Jesus, the Son, His only begotten Son, but with the Father as well. I'm held in Jesus' hand and the Father's hands on top of it, and no one can snatch us out of that relationship. I have this permanent relationship with Him, and, and Jesus makes it possible for me to have an unspoiled relationship where He looks at me just as though I haven't sinned. And John is saying that if I walk in the light, I have this kind of intimacy with the Father because Jesus purifies us. And look at the key word here. Purifies us from what? All sin. Every kind of sin. Every sin that you might have ever done. Every sin that you might have ever imagined. Every sin you might have heard about. He purifies us. He cleanses us. He makes us new from all sin. Now look as we keep reading in verse 8. And think about when you hear, because he repeats this phrase, if we claim. You can see it in verse 6, you can see it in verse 8, and you're going to see it again in verse 10. If we claim, if we boast, and with that word is attached a prideful life. Do you catch that? So if we claim, if we boast to be without sin, that is, there's nothing wrong with me. Everything's good with me. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. However, which is the word if, however or if, we confess, if we acknowledge, if we speak, look at ourselves honestly and we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand and we say the same thing about our lives as he sees, if we acknowledge it and take full responsibility for it, if we confess our sins, what happens? Our Father in heaven is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and he'll wash us clean, he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. However, if we claim, if we boast in pride that we have not sinned, we make the Father out to be a liar and his word. And who is the word of God? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we behold his glory. Who is it? It's Jesus. His word has no place in our life. That's a serious condition to be in. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1. And I love this little phrase. My dearest little children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That is the grandfather's hope to his children. And it would be my hope to every one of us that we would not live a lifestyle and a habit of sin, of rebellion, and walking pridefully away from the Lord. That would be my hope for every one of us as it was for John. And that, But then he says... <laughs> But if anybody does sin, and implied in that, is I, and I know you probably will, if anybody does sin, look what this says. We have one who speaks to the Father in our de defense. Some of your Bibles say we have an advocate. And who's the advocate? Who's our defense attorney? It is Jesus Christ. What does it say? The righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that word atoning, some of your Bibles say propitiation. It is a complex word. Propitiation actually means atoning sacrifice, but there's, it's more than that. Atonement means that the debt has been satisfied and has been fully paid. So I shared earlier with the Saturday night service is that back in Pennsylvania, uh, one of the stories that came out around Christmas time that was kind of new to me was that there was a benefactor in the community who would go to the local Walmart or Kmart and ask the clerk, what do you have on layaway? And she would, he, and she said, yes, sir, we have things on layaway, so I would like to pay those things off. Give me the bill, 
And so what do you mean? I don't care how many. Tell me what the bill is. I'd like to pay that off. And he would pay it off. And so the people would come in to pick up their bicycle or whatever those things were that they had put away and they, they were going to get it at Christmas time for their son or whoever it was. And they would walk in. So I'm here to get my bike. I'm ready to pay. Well, sir, it's already been paid. You don't owe me anything. What do you mean? Somebody has come up and has paid it for you. Here's your bike or here it is, whatever this thing is. That's what atonement means. It means that the debt has been fully paid. The debt has been satisfied. But the other side of this that isn't clearly seen here in the word propitiation or in the NIV atoning sacrifice is not only has the debt been paid, but God's heart has been changed. Our relationship with him has been changed. No longer are we distant from the father, but he is now turning to us as a father and he embraces us as a child. And no longer are we experiencing his wrath, but we're experiencing his grace and his love. And now we have peace with God. And he no longer regards my sin against me. So there's been a, a financial transaction where a debt has been paid, but there's been a relational change where he says, you're my son. And he puts his arm around me and says, I got plans for you. I chose you. You're mine now. You're not the enemies now. You, you catching all that? And so he goes on to say in that he is the atoning sacrifice. He's all of that for our sins, but not only for ours. This message is for the sins, the message is about the sins of the whole world. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to know him. Verse 3 says, so we know We have confidence, we have certainty that we have come to know him, to know him intimately if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, I know, Lord, I raised my hand, I went forward, but does not do what the Father commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anybody, look at that, isn't that what anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete, perfected in him And this is how we know that we are truly in Christ. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Isn't that a great word today? Let me pray for us and then we're going to go through our outline. Father, I thank you so much for the the promises that are here in your word. I'm so grateful, Lord, for the, the words anyone. So grateful for the word purify. So grateful for the word all. And knowing that I'm included in all of those words knowing that you're the atoning sacrifice for me. It's nothing that I did. You're the one who called my name. You're the one that went after me. I'm so grateful, Lord, for your grace and your mercy that you have demonstrated and the, and the promises and the power of your word. And so, Lord, if there's any here today, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts, that you would perfect your work in us so that, Lord, we would all be walking in the darkness, not deeper into the tunnel of darkness. We're walking away from it, We're walking in the light as you are in the light. So we might have wonderful fellowship with you. So we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's follow along in your outline. Encourage you to take this home, fill in the blanks as best you can, and then take this home and look up some of the other passages that I will reference. We won't be able to read here today, but be a student of the Word. Learn to love the Lord. Learn to love the Word. Mark up your Bibles, and uh, boy, take and and, uh, just let it perk deeply into your life. So anyway, what is it like? What does it mean to walk in darkness? Literally, when we talk about walking in darkness, we're missing the mark. 
All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. All of us have moved away from the glory of God, every single one of us. And the truth of the matter is, is that our hearts, every one of our hearts, including my heart, and even as a pastor, is prone to wander, prone to leave the God that I love. Every one of us has been in this condition. Any of you have experienced that? The wandering of a heart? All of us have. If you're here today and you feel like you have drifted away, don't think you're the only one that's ever had that experience. We're just dealing with truth here today. And so when we talk about walking in darkness, it literally means missing the mark. We're moving, moving further and further away from where God wants us to be. We're not walking in humility, but we're walking in pride. We claim that we have no sin, but the truth of it is we peel it back out. Man, there's all sorts of things that need to be addressed before God. Secondly, it also means that our life is out of sync with following Christ. Ephesians 5.1 says that we should be imitators of God as like little children. We should walk in love as, as he did. We should imitate him in every single way. In fact, as we walk, there not, ought to be any hint of immorality. There not, ought to be any hint of obscenity. We ought not have, uh, it ought to affect our speech. There ought not be any coarse jesting or foul language. Uh, there ought not be any anger or slander. So it's not just Im issues of immorality, but it's deficiency in character, anything that is different from the way that Christ would be. Can you imagine Christ ever swearing? Can you imagine him ever telling a dirty joke? Can you imagine him looking on pornography? I mean, all of those things are falling short of the glory of God. And when we're walking in darkness, we're walking out of sync for where he wants us to be. He's been calling us out of the darkness. He's been trying to call us out of that mind shaft. He wants us to come back into the light. And if we continue walking to the deep hole, we get further and further away from him. And he's calling us to walk in sync with him. It also means that our behavior and choices are symptomatic of a great issue. I hear some of you coughing today. The problem is not your cough. Is there something inside of you that's causing your body to be sick? And when we look at the issues of life, and we have things that are out of character with Christ, where we are characterized by our lying, we're characterized by our selfishness, we're characterized by our immorality, our impurity, our obscenities, or whatever those issues are. If those things are characterizing our life, those are symptoms of a much bigger issue. It's a symptom of a heart that is woefully, horribly astray. It's a heart that says, I am not, I'm not going to submit myself to your leadership. I am not going to follow you. In fact, I think I, I am the center of my universe. I want what I want, and I want it now. That is symptomatic of a heart. The Lord calls us away from selfishness. He says that if we're walking in the Spirit, we'll deny the desires of the flesh, because our flesh is out of sync with what the Lord would want. For the most part, our flesh wants to be satisfied above all else, regardless of how it affects people, how it hurts people, even what God thinks about it. And we're going to get into that. And that's symptomatic of a heart that is resistant and resisting what God would have for us. So why do we walk in darkness? If we know these things to be true, why in the world do we do that? Paul says in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. Things I know I shouldn't do, I do anyway. You have any, any of you ever identify with that? What a wretched man that I am. I mean, that's a, that's a horrible passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 7. You agree with me? <laughs> But I love verse, chapter 8, verse 1. It says, therefore, now there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Man, I love that verse. Because I identify. I, I understand the struggle of the flesh. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I know I shouldn't do, I do anyway. What a rich man I am. But praise God, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so why do we walk in darkness? We yield to our corrupted desires. The desires that are in our heart. Desires to be loved. The desires to 
um, has success or desires to um, have status or whatever desires you might have, they're corrupted. They've been corrupted by sin. They tend to be very self-focused. And those desires push us to the head of the line. Desires push us in regards to we don't care how it might hurt our family. It doesn't pushes us. It helps us. It even causes us to say, I don't care what this is going to do. I want it so badly, I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. So we yield to our corrupted desires. We also live ungrateful lives. Romans 1.21 talks about that though they know God, they know everything about him, they refuse to give him thanks. And they begin to, re- begin to think that somehow all the things that we have is our doing, not God's doing. We do not acknowledge his good work in our life. And when we start living ungrateful lives, guess what happens? Guess what comes into our life? Selfishness comes into our life. Bitterness comes into our life. Anger comes into our life. And so we look at our wife, who Ecclesiastes says has been given to us, men, as a trophy. So every one of you ladies is a trophy wife. (laughs) You are. A trophy given by God to your husband for all of his work under his son. It's God's way of blessing you. And yet some of us look at our spouses and say, can I get another trophy? (laughs) I'm not sure I want any more of this blessing, God. We've become dissatisfied with our jobs. Some of you have been unemployed. And we've all, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I mean, we've all been here. We pray and pray and pray, and God gives us what we want, and within three months, we want something else. <laughs> Particularly if you're an Apple addict like I am, when, the, when you just buy a new Apple i10, and then i12 comes out, right? <laughs> and you've got to have the new one. I mean, there's just this constant discontentment. And the Lord wants us to, to look at our wife and say, Lord, thank you so much for this blessed partner, this one that we're journeying this life through that is loving me no matter what. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you're using this job to provide for our family. Lord, help me to just to be grateful every day for what you have given to me. It changes one's life when we have an attitude of gratefulness. But when we walk in darkness, it's because we are ungrateful for what God has been doing in our life. We also are in love with the world. We love the world. It tastes good. And 1 John 2.15 says, don't love the world. And don't love the things that are in the world. For anyone who loves the world, and this, look at this. The love of the Father is not in him. Now, which do you want? Do you want the stuff in the world or you want the love of the Father? You can't have both. So which one are you going to choose? So for anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I pray, Lord, give me more of your love in my life. For everything that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all of those things are the world, not from the Father. They're from the world. The world and all of its desires are going to pass away, but the one who does the will of God will live forever. You want to live forever? You want the greater manifestation of God in your life? Then you start looking at your life and you begin to say, what is it that I really love? This stuff that I'm holding on to, is that what my life is all about? My stuff? No. And even in heaven, as wonderful as heaven is, and we talk about the streets of gold and all this other kind of stuff, the treasure of heaven is not the gold. It's not the mansions. It's being in Jesus' presence and to hear him call our name and hear him say, welcome home. That's the treasure of heaven. All the other stuff is secondary and way down the, the, you know, it's way down there. The greater treasure is him. Why do we walk in darkness? It's because we do not love or fear God. That's really the bottom line. Because if we love him, 
Why would we disobey him? If we were putting him first and we cared about what he thought about our life, why would we hurt him? And, and the truth is, is that too many times we are more concerned about what we think of each other than what God thinks about us. I like the concept of accountability partners. It's a good thing. But it can also deceive you. And so as you have accountability partners, and Tom and I here have known each other for a long time, and I come over to Tom and say, hey, Tom, how about if we meet for coffee every once in a while and let's hold each other accountable. Let's study the Word of God. Let's pray together. You can ask me anything in my life. I can ask you anything in my life, and we'll just be honest with each other. As good as that is, what often drives me in that relationship is I'm, I want to make sure that he thinks I'm still a good guy. <laughs> and yet God, who sees me in secret, knows everything. Shouldn't I be more concerned about that? And shouldn't the thing that drives me is what he thinks of me and what he sees of me? And that I live a life of honesty, not just with Tom or Jeff or any of my other friends, but I live honestly with him. And I recognize what I do in secret that he sees in secret. And I'm concerned about my reputation with him and whether or not he's ashamed to be called my God. And the truth is, is that we tend not to love him or fear him. We do not hold him in deepest respect. So what happens when we walk in, dis in darkness? I'm going to suggest three things. We live dishonest lives. 1 John 1, 6 says, The truth is not in us. We lie to ourselves if we claim to know God, but, we're not, but we continue walking in darkness. We lie. That's not the truth. You can't be having this habit of walking away from Christ and saying, Hey, I'm in Christ. Everything's okay with me in Christ. I have good fellowship with Christ and we're walking in darkness. Those two are incompatible. We're lying to ourselves. We're also living in deception. We're fooling ourselves, thinking that everything is okay when it's not. If you look at all of these words, it says, if we claim, uh, if we claim, if we claim. It says that we deceive ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. The truth is not in us. And also, the third one is we make it evident that his word has no place in our lives. This is huge. Look at verse 10. It says, if we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out, who, make who out to be a liar? We make the Father out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our life. That means that his word, which is given to us, and the intent of his word is that it would be a, 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 a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's meant to instruct us. It's meant to teach us. It's meant to point, to lead us in the right direction. If I am saying that I have fellowship with the Father and I'm walking in darkness, it is obvious that this word has no place place in my life. I'm just playing a game. This is why I need to be in the Word of God. It's meant to be a, a wonderful mirror to show me when I have broccoli in my teeth. <laughs> it's, it's, meant, it's meant to cleanse me. In fact, the Holy Spirit uses His Word to continually purify me. It's, the Holy Spirit is like soap, <laughs> and I need soap to clean me from the daily stench of this world. And so if I'm walking in darkness, it's obviously this has no power. It has no work in my life. And so, sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? And so here we are. We're coming off of a great big weekend. And a lot of people came to know Christ. And maybe you are in here today. And, it's, and, and, and yet now seven days have gone by. And you've messed up. Man, man, maybe this is even speaking to you today. And you know that you've stumbled, you fell, and some of you have been in Christ for a long time, and man, you're just getting tired of the things I want to do, I don't do, things I know I shouldn't do, I do anyway. 
So what do we do if we mess up? Well, folks, here's the good news. This is what I, this is what I like about John and his writing. Look at verse 7. It says that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. It cleanses us from, what does it say? All sin. I'm so glad the Lord doesn't kick us to the curb, aren't you? Uh, I've been in, I've worked for different companies where if you goof, you're out. Have you had that experience? Just read something about Amazon that if you can't make their quotas, a computer kicks you out, fires you, not, not your boss, your supervisor. A computer looks at you and tracks you and says, yeah, you're out. You're, you're not producing enough. And yet the Lord says, my, my, my grace is sufficient for you. I, I, I purify you from all sin. There's no way that you have fallen too far from the grace of God. And there's no time that his arms are, are, have stopped being open to you. They're always open to you. There's no time that his door is locked to keep you out. His sacrifice was, was sufficient for all of our sin. It cleanses us from all sin. And also, I like chapter 2, verse 1. He stands as our defender. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My dear children, my little children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Now, as you look at that, you have to think opposites. Well, if he's defending us, who's he defending us from? Wouldn't that make sense? That if you have a defense attorney, it has to be a prosecuting attorney. Who's our prosecutor? Write down Revelation 12.10. Go home and look at it. God's word says that night and day, guess who defends us, who, who accuses us before the Father night and day? Satan. He knows our business. And he's bringing all our junk before our Heavenly Father. And he says, really? Really? Do you see what this guy did? He, he can't walk the line. He's all messed up. He got this stuff going on in his life and he calls himself to be a Christian. And our advocate, our defender, steps up and says, oh, Father, I died for him. He's mine. We, we're holding him together. Satan, <laughs> you have no complaint. <laughs> He's been washed clean. I look at him, I, I can't tell that he sinned at all. He's new in Christ. He's growing in Christ. He belongs to us. And if you keep reading in Revelation 12, 10, it says three things. <clears throat> and their victory over Satan is three things. The blood of the Lamb, which cleanses us from sin. The word of their testimony that says, I'm in Christ. And they did not love their life even unto death. You take away, you, you add that component in it where you can say, devil, you just can do whatever you want to me. You can take it all away like you did Job. You can fill my head from all the way to my toes with boils. You can take my life. You can pull my fingernails out. I'm going to cling to Jesus. I'm going to just cling into him. And when you can live that way, if you can look at your house and say, Lord, this is your house. The pleasure I have of living it is a grace you give to me every day. The wife that I have is a grace that you give to me every day. The children that I have is a grace that you give to me every day. Folks, you live a free life. If you hold on to those things that say, don't touch my kids, don't touch my home, don't touch my job, don't touch my happiness, you're enslaved. Your world's going to get rocked really bad. And when cancer comes and death is on its doorstep, you won't be ready for that moment. But when you hold all that in your hands and those things come, now you begin to say, Lord, I love healing, but until you heal me, use me. And if this thing that I'm going through is your tool to be a help to somebody else, to penetrate their darkness, then Lord, I am all, I'm all yours.
to, to whatever you want, because for me to live is Christ. But Lord, this is my ticket to home. I'm, I'm ready to go. Folks, that is real freedom. I like it that he stands as our defender, and he defends us who's accusing us. And I love verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9, because he responds to my humility. It takes humility to say that if, he, if we confess our sins, a prideful man does not acknowledge his sin. A prideful man doesn't say, I was wrong, you were right. A prideful man has all sorts of excuses. If you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have done it. It's all about you. It's not about me. You're the one that needs to be fixed, not me. That's what pride says. But a humble man says, oh, Lord, I messed up. What I said was so hurtful. What I did was so wrong. My life, my character has been so out of sorts. My tongue is so out of control. Every relationship I've been around, I hurt and I break. Father, would you forgive me? And you'll find that Jesus' blood is sufficient that purifies us from all sins. And he says, now go make it right. That's the hard part, isn't it? Because we in our little closet, we can say, Jesus, forgive me. But then he says, now go make it right. If you've stolen from somebody, go make it right. If you've wronged somebody, go make it right. In fact, before you even do your offering kind of thing, before you become an usher, before you go do this, before this, not that any of us are perfect people, but folks, we need to take these things seriously. We need to go make it right. And, we'll, and when we do that, we'll experience a fellowship with God that's deeper and richer than any of us have ever, ever experienced. So what will we experience? Look at verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7. It says, we walk in the light as he's in light. We will have fellowship with one another, fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. We'll have intimate fellowship with our Heavenly Father. I don't know if you have experienced this. I have numerous times. Um, we have dear friends that, um, you know, that we have met in college and some are in Pennsylvania and other places. And when we're with them, man, it's sweet to be with them. Man, there, there is a, a communion, there is a fellowship that's so endearing, we wish it could go on and on and on and on and on. And that's what the Lord wants for each one of us, not just horizontally, but vertically here, is that when I am with the Father, there's no shame, there is no guilt, there's no business to be taken care of, because it's all been dealt with at the cross, and He sees me just as though I have not sinned. That's huge to know that I can have peace with God and I have a wonderful fellowship with Him. And that comes when I'm obedient to His Word, when I'm responsive to His Holy Spirit. I can have that kind of fellowship with Him. When I resist the work of the Holy Spirit, and this, that, and this is really what it's all about, it's, a, it's, it's responding to the Holy Spirit. It's not what I gin up and I do myself, but it's yielding to the Holy Spirit. So when He prompts me and says, Lonnie, you, go to, you need to go make this right. You need to humble yourself and say, I'm wrong. Would you forgive me? When I respond to that, I have fellowship with God where I say, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to do that. There's no way I'm going to suck it up. There's no way I'm going to humble myself. The Lord says, okay, we'll just keep waiting until you do. <laughs> Let me know when you're ready. Because <laughs> the next time we meet, we're going to talk about that. Do you take care of business? Well, why not? Take care of business. Let's get this out of the way. Let's clear the table so we can have intimate fellowship with one another. It also demonstrates that we will have a that his word has a significant place in our life. So the benefit of it is, is that when I'm, when I'm obedient to it, it gives evidence that this thing is working in my life. This book is working my life. And the Holy Spirit is using this like soap to cleanse my life. And thirdly, 
when I'm obedient and I'm, and, and I'm, I'm following the Lord and, and I'm trusting him and, what, and the things that I experience by walking in the light is that God's love is made complete in me. It means it's being perfected in me. That doesn't mean I am a perfect person, but his work is continuing in my life and people are seeing Jesus in me more and more and more and more. And just like you experience when you get out of the shower, you smell clean and sweet. When I'm walking with the Lord, and his word is having an effect in my life, I smell clean and sweet, and it's the aroma of Jesus in my life, and that's irresistible. So how do we know if it's real? How do we know if it's real? How do we know if our relationship with Jesus is real? The simple question is, is are we walking as Jesus walked? And when you look at that, how did Jesus walk? He committed himself to the Father's business. It was always about the Father's business. He sought to serve rather than to be served. And though he was king, he humbled himself for our sake. You take those qualities and those characters and you apply them into your life, and you begin walking as Jesus walked, where it's not about you, but about him and his Father's business. Your job is about his kingdom work. Your home is God's house. Your car is God's car. Your kids are God's kids. And you begin seeing things from his perspective. And men, you, you love your wife as Christ has loved the church, which means that he sacrificed himself for it and he gave himself for it. It's all about how to serve and minister to your family and your kids. You watch how that transforms your life. And ladies, if you see your role as God-given to be a blessing and encouragement to your husband and to your family, it changes your life if you see that you're always on mission from Christ. And we seek to serve rather than to be served. And it's all about humbling ourselves for the sake of somebody else's blessing. It makes a difference in our life. So in conclusion, how's your walk? How's your walk? As you look at God's word and you see it, how's your walk? And what drives you? What motivates you throughout the day and the course of your life? What are the passions of your life? Is it the Lord's business? Or are you thinking about the next raise or the next commission or the next boat you're going to buy or the next thing you're going to do or the next vacation you're going to take? Not that those things are bad in of themselves, but if that's what's driving you, if you're working really, really hard because of the pension you're going to get, man, you've you got the wrong focus. Jesus promised if I would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness that he'll take care of me and the things that others worry about and fret about, he'll supply. And lastly, is there any unfinished business in our life that needs to be made right? Folks, if there's unfinished business, let's take care of it. That's why we have the altar room. Not that we would know your business, but we're here to encourage you and to say, folks, let's just keep pressing on. Let's keep walking the walk. So I like this quote from John Piper. That said, may Christ so dwell in our hearts with his indestructible joy that day by day we are conformed more and more to his glad image. And so may we be a place of refuge and eternal refreshment for a hopeless, joy-seeking world of people who do not know they are starved for the glory of the gladness of God in Christ Jesus. you get that? That you and I will be a place of refuge and eternal refreshment for a hopeless, joy-seeking world of people who desperately need to know the glory of the gladness of God in Christ. That's what he wants to do in each of our lives. I hope this word, not my words, but God's word, is spoken to you. I hope it resonates deeply in your life. The altar room is going to be open. I'm going to be here to meet you and pray with you. But we just want God to, 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 to be real in us. 
that we live honest lives, watching him work, enjoying the fruit that comes out of a life obedient to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege and opportunity of, of, of being in the gap here today, of being a blessing and, and teaching your word. Thank you for Pastor Rick and his ministry that's in Modesto taking place today. Bless him, Lord, abundantly. But Lord, help us to be individuals who walk in the light. That Lord, turning around out of the tunnel or keep walking towards you until we are received by you, embraced by you. And, and Lord, eagerly hearing you say, welcome home. Lord, if there's any unfinished business today, that it might be finished today. If there's wounds that need to be healed, that you would begin the healing process. If there's strongholds, that they would be broken today. Where there's no hope, that hope would be given today. Where there's lack of joy, that joy would be given today as they come closer to you. So we give it all to you, Father. Help us to live victoriously for you through the power of your Holy Spirit and the refreshment of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Lord bless you.